0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at smith underscore mlb. Our other hosts for this episode are Terry Cushman coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Windham, Maine, and Cody Paulson coming to us from Houston, Texas by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida. Cody,
1: how are you doing today, and where can the fans find you, sir? Charlie I'm doing well thanks for checking in the fans can find me on Twitter at the Cody Paulson that's Paulson with an e come yell at me come tweet at me let's have a conversation and just as a friendly reminder please hit that like and subscribe button whether it be on Spotify or Apple podcast or wherever you happen to be finding us Charlie and Terry how are you guys doing tonight no complaints coming from me super happy to get this show underway Terry
0: how are you doing and where can the fans find you sir.
2: I am still cooling off from my Masataki Yoshida rant on the most recent episode. Check that out. And you can find me on Twitter at Cushman MLB. My DMS are open. If you want to send me hate stuff or, you know, whatever, that's where I am. Well, nat- naturally we, we hope that you don't get too much
0: hate. We know there's, there's probably going to be a couple people out there that send a couple things, but uh, let's get this show underway. Terry, what is your first hot take for this evening? What do you have?
2: Mine comes from Dan on Twitter. As, as always, most of these hot takes are submitted to us uh, by our followers on social media. So Dan uh, had one that really, uh, you know, uh, sparked my imagination. So he says... Cutter Crawford should remain in the rotation, and if Sale continues to struggle, move him to the bullpen. Now, what makes this interesting here is we've already got a six-man rotation, which currently consists of Chris Sale, who Dan hates, uh, Corey Kluber, Garrett Whitlock, Nick Pavetta, Tanner Houck, and Brian Bayo. So there's your six-man rotation in and, and no particular order. Those are the six guys currently in the rotation. So we have to find a way to eliminate one. And the popular debate is usually comes down to um, Tanner Houck and, and Garrett Whitlock. And we had a nice little kind of debate into that on the most recent episode. But here's the other problem. James Paxton is within a couple weeks of returning. He's already had one rehab start. Presumably, he's going to have a couple more. So now you got seven starters. If you got if you want to add cutter to the rotation, now it's eight. So it's a really crowded field here uh, in the Red Sox rotation. Now, let me address one other thing. He says, put sale in the bullpen. Now A couple episodes ago, it was the one recapping. uh, Who did we play before the Angels? The Rays. The Rays. And I said Chris Sale's career is over. Here's the problem if you put Chris Sale in the bullpen. He's got a 15.00 ERA in the first inning. So if you take him out of the bullpen... He's liable to get slapped around right away. And I just don't think he's a fit. I think Chris Sale, despite his history here, despite the fact he closed out the last three outs of the 2018 World Series to have that iconic moment where he and Christian Vasquez embrace each other as the team comes rushing in. Aside from that and the fact he still has... He's owed, I think, roughly $30 million this year, $30 million next year, something like that. It's definitely over 50 combined. Despite all that, I think the Red Sox are going to view him as an automatic loss, and they're going to cut ties with him because there are better options. Uh, t- uh, Crawford right now, Cutter Crawford, as much as I'm still not sold on him, he is a better option than Chris Sale. James Paxton, most likely, until he gets hurt, will be a better option than Chris Sale. How can Whitlock right now are already proving they are better options than Chris Sale? I think Chris Sale is going to be DFA'd. The example I gave, uh, the comparison I gave on that uh, last week was the Hanley Ramirez DFA. And, and I know this is apples to oranges because... One's a hitter, one's a a pitcher. But on the flight home uh, in 2018, everybody expected Blake Swihart to be the odd man out because a roster move needed to happen. He was being used as a utility guy, which he wasn't. He wasn't great at any other position, wasn't even great at catcher, and he wasn't hitting well. So he was going to be the guy to be DFA'd. And that's what Swihart himself thought on the plane ride back into boston and then shockingly the next morning it was Haley ramirez and i think it's gonna come out of nowhere but i i just i think chris sale right now is the worst starting pitcher in our rotation now you can disagree with my take generally but do you guys at least agree with that he is the worst guy right now
1: cody why don't you go second I mean, there's no question that Chris Sale has definitely struggled to start the season, especially you know when you look at the type of pitcher that Chris Sale has been in his in his career, right? You know, this is a guy that was a perennial All Star, a perennial Cy Young candidate. You know, never got over the bump to to grasp that hardware, but um, he's he's definitely struggled to to begin and. I don't know if I necessarily see cutter in the rotation or if I see him be the long relief guy, the spot starter guy, but he definitely at the very least needs to be on the major league ball club. There's no reason for him to keep being sent back down to AAA, a, um, you know, to, to give guys like, or, or, or Brazier uh, some more additional run. And, you know, I think we're also in an unfortunate position where we might have to walk back some of these Brazier takes because he's been um, a breath of fresh air, but that's a, you know, a, a different segment for another day. Um, you know, I think there's still a little bit of rust that's going to be knocked off, uh, for sale at this point in time. I, I just refuse to believe a guy that is the competitor to the level that he is, the you know, the one that says, Hey, give me the ball. I'm going to figure this out. I want to get the outs. I want to, you know, help this team win. He's not going to beat his head against the wall and, and continue to do so in an unproductive manner. So I think something's got to shift. I think he's got to, sh- you know, maybe change the way that he's attacking hitters or, uh, you know, something's got to give because the way that he's currently going out there and, and performing isn't um, making him happy easier. You know, as as much as we're screaming at the clouds, I'm sure he's he's screaming just as loud as we are. So
0: I hear what everyone's saying. I sound like a broken record when I talk about Chris Sale. Cutter should remain in the in the rotation. And if Sale continues to struggle, move him to the bullpen. While I know we've talked about this before, just because you pay someone a certain amount of money does not mean that they should be in a specific spot. David Price was getting $32 million or $30 million in his last year as a Dodger, half of which was being paid by the Red Sox just to not play in Boston. And David Price was a reliever for most of that year. I don't really think he started too many games, if any. Do I think that Chris Sale would be a better option in the bullpen? No, I don't. I really do think that it's just taken a little bit more time than normal for Chris Sale to bounce back. But we've seen this before where some pitchers, not all, but there are a select few pitchers that have really started to ramp up once they are in their late 20s, early mid 30s. And The first name that comes to mind is, you know, I I don't want to say he's just like Randy Johnson, but Randy Johnson, this is someone who had major control problems. And if you look back at at, at his history, this is someone who probably didn't really have a chance because he had walked the same number of guys as he struck out. This was someone who had major problems. He could throw 102 miles an hour, but he couldn't control it. I, I think that Chris Hale has a chance, and I'm not, you just, you can't lose that level of talent. You just, you can't. And you don't forget how to pitch. You don't forget how to have the fire. He still has it. And for that, I, I just, I can't. I, I can't move him into the bullpen. you got to have him in the rotation. And and Cutter might work his way into the rotation. That's possible. But, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Paxton. Paxton, as Terry has mentioned on a prior episode, may have been paid $14 million to never throw a pitch in Boston that's also a possibility on the table. So it's definitely out there, but I, I don't want sale in the bullpen. I just, I don't want that. Uh, Cody, what's your, what's your first uh, hot take here?
1: My first hot take comes from Sturum Wolke. Apologies if I mispronounce that Twitter handle, but uh, this person tweeted at the account, the problem is a coaching, not Bloom. Um, you know, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be as cut and dry as, you know these seven or eight words but um a lot of what we're seeing on on the product or a a lot of the product we're seeing on the field right now to me boils down to coaching sure the players aren't performing to their career averages and you know sure there are certain cogs to this lineup that aren't on the field right now due to injuries whether you know it be Mondesi or Duvall or or Story um Paxton for that matter Bayo just coming back but you know, this team has been sloppy in their losses. Right. And, you know, a lot of these wins have been close games where we've gotten timely hitting or the guys have been resilient. Um, but, you know, we're giving up stolen bases left and right. And, you know, thankfully, Connor Wong is as woken up and decided to start throwing out some base runners or we'd be laughed out of the league and, and run all over. We're playing sloppy defense. We're not backing up players. We're not you know going to first and third when we when we need to be. Um, and there's been no fire from from the manager spot, in my opinion. You know, I'm I'm not seeing any any quotes. I'm not seeing Cora holding guys accountable. If anything, I'm seeing Cora yell at the players that are performing well, uh, a it that I've long disagreed with. Um, to me, I, I haven't been overly enthused with Alex Cora's performance for a couple of years now, and I don't think that there's been anything done on the field to to change my opinion otherwise. Could Bloom have done more in the offseason to go out and get upper level talent? Absolutely. We're not absolving him of any blame in that regard, but at a certain point in time, the players that you have on the field have to start performing and that falls to the coaches and the coaching staffs and, and the managers, and they just have not been living up to the expectation. Um, you know, we do studs and duds on series wins and, you know, the, uh, the duds, while there are some repeat players, there are, you know, some fresh faces that make their way in there and, Uh, That's, I mean, the blame's got to go around full circle.
2: Terry? I mean, both factions own part of this. But to me, it is more of a Bloom problem. And and that's not going to shock anybody on this crew. It's not going to shock the listeners. But, I mean, you're asking Rob Refsnyder... To not only be an everyday player, but to bat out of the three-hole. There's 30 teams in MLB. And on 29 of them, Rob Ruff Snyder would never, in his wildest imaginations, bat out of the three-hole. That would never happen. We're ranked 22nd in MLB on the right side of the plate offensively, so that's not good. First base, like I said, it's been a black hole. There's no depth there. There's no backup option. That would be most likely Bobby Dahlbeck, who has failed several times over. Corey Kluber, the big pitching acquisition, isn't apparently trusted to go beyond the fifth inning. And this team is more flawed than... I ever remember in my lifetime. So I have to put the bulk of that on Hein Bloom. Now is Alex Cora making the most of what he has? No. Is he is he outmanaging any of the other managers? No. I, I think he's been outmanaged in just about every series. I know he swept um, the Tigers, but that's a that's a terrible team perennially. And I don't think the angels series was terrible and we stole a couple, but to me it's, it's mostly Heim.
0: I am having a really hard time with, you know, the so-called Bluminati and the fair weather fans that are siding with the Bluminati that probably couldn't name half the starters How do you blame the coaches for the players that they've been given who we know are not nearly as talented? If you were to stack up each first baseman against one another, second baseman against one another, third baseman against one another, shortstop, each outfield position, catcher, starter, closer, we're not going to win four of those battles, three if we're lucky. And before, in the last three years, we weren't going to win closer either. Thank God we got a closer. But I mean, first baseman, we're losing that fight every day. Terry just said it. Rob Reefschneider's playing and batting third, excuse me, batting third in your lineup. Ouch. How is that Alex Cora's fault? I, I get it. Injuries are a part of the game. But Jesus, I mean, this team is so analytics driven. We have just a, what Terry has said, you know, we, have the, we got the dumb guy. We just, it's a joke. But how people are blaming the coaching and not High and Bloom is just mind-boggling. No, the coaches and High and Bloom can't make the players hit the balls. But, you know, if you had the option of signing like an a la Freddie Freeman or somebody like that, you're probably having a little bit better success. It's just I, – I think it's it's just irresponsible to blame – Alex Cora for everything that's been going on, even 10% of the blame, because you can only do so much with the pieces that you've got. Um, And unless there's nothing else you guys want to add, that's going to take me into my first. I got one actually. Sure. Sure. Go
2: ahead. A couple of things I didn't mention. So Adam Duvall had, you know, an injury history and then gets injured pretty fast. But an injury history nonetheless. Trevor Story had red flags with his elbow, and supposedly teams didn't want to sign him. We still signed him. So, you know, we we've ignored some red flags, and like with Rob Ref Snyder, um, Tristan Cassis, Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Helt, Cutter Crawford. You're asking a bunch of guys to do stuff. They've never done before, and in some cases, it's play a full season. In some cases, in Ref Snyder's, you know, case, batting out of the three hole. <laughs> so I, I'm just, it, it's a it's a very imperfect team with a lot of obstacles that haven't been navigated very well so far. So I just wanted to throw that out there.
1: Counterpoint to that. I mean, Duvall has had two or three, maybe, injury list stints in his career. Yes, some of them related to his wrist, but he rolled over on it in trying to make a play in the outfield. It's not like he's Stanton who gets an oblique injury every 45 at bats because he's trying to swing out of his shoes or he's inflexible. I want to push back on the injury history allegations for Adam Duvall. It's a freak accident, right? You know, and it wasn't like he was missing time before that. And I'll be the first to say it, you know, if a guy's injury history, and we commit to him like Dave Dombrowski did with Chris Dale and Nathan Avaldi. Let's call a spade a spade, right? You I don't think can do that and expect to have a success, right? We had to eat a large part of Chris Sale's contract and not get a lot of value for that. We've lamented how bad that that contract has been year over year, because he has had between you know some bad luck, we'll say at the comebacker against the Yankees, and some dumb decisions like punching walls and, and riding bikes. But you know, ref is not hitting three in the optimum lineup, right? You know, you have guys like Kike, Yoshida, Cassis, Arroyo that are not batting up to the way that they should be, right? You know, if they're playing the you know the way that we expect them to, ref center's not sniffing the three hole. And I'm pretty sure, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a lefty a lefty starter today for, for ref center to bat three, right? Am what, I misremembering that
2: I, he batted third the whole series? But um. the whole series. Oh,
1: and oh, Tony started today, so not a lefty starter. But he's been he's been much better against lefties than he has been um, uh, against righties. And you know, one of the hot takes that I've had in previous seasons is he's a sustainable leadoff hitter for the Red Sox against lefty pitching. Um, I don't want to call myself a Bloom apologist for lack of you know better terms. I definitely think there is some culpability to to the players that Bloom has brought in. But I feel like we have been a little harsh in our opinion of him for what he had to work with when he showed up to Boston. Because I believe the roster was in disarray. We did not have good players um, on sustainable contracts, and we had nobody in the farm system, right? And I, you know, I think he had to build it up from the bottom up, and it is taking a little bit longer than we're accustomed to because we are the Boston Red Sox, right? And in part of that too, I think we saw a lot of it this off season with Bogart's endeavors. Who's to say that, you know, ownership's not allowing him to go out and spend the money that would necessarily be required to compete with some of these large contracts. I mean, this off season alone, we saw some, some albatross type uh, contracts being handed out. And if ownership's not willing to pay that money, there's only so much that you can do. And we weren't even winning some of those mid-level um, bidding wars as well. So, you know, if if his hands are tied and we'll never know the answers to these questions, he's just the guy that has to wear it because we, you know, we can only yell at John Henry till we're blown in the face.
2: So I'm trying to dig up why Adam Duvall only played 41 games in 2019. Um, Wikipedia didn't cover that. Um, also, 2022 limited to just 86 games, hurt his wrist, and then. You know, this year, he's probably going to play less than 100. So the only full season he's actually played, uh, you know, in his entire age 30s here, he he was 30 years old in in 2019 when he only played 41 games. The only exception, really, um, you know, 2021, he played 146 games. Uh, 2020, I mean, he did play. It was a 60 game season, I think. He played 57, but, you know, that's going to be an asterisk on, on everybody's, um, you know, resume. So, I, I, three out of four full seasons here. Uh, he's going to be 35 uh, at some point this year. I can pull that up real quick here. He is going to be 35 in June. I just. I don't know. It's, to me, it's a pattern. But, you know, we, we can say he's unlucky, you know, in, in certain areas as well. But some, to me, still a little bit of a liability. Well, I mean,
0: <sighs> I hear what, what Cody's saying because I understand where some people might have said, oh, well, he inherited a real rough situation. But. How many years has it been? It's been four, five. It feels like it's been two years too long because I don't remember being a last place team on a consistent basis. And yeah, you can say, Oh, we were a contender. We, we were there, but we were never contenders. We were never going to beat the Houston Astros in, uh, was it 20? Oh God. What year was it that we went? Um, is it 21? For, uh, forgive me. Yeah, that was the season. Yeah, it, it was right after COVID. And, you know, we had a, a lead in the series, and then very quickly we lost four games to two after going up 2-1. So I would have figured that knowing that this is a a team with an illustrious history with an expectation of winning – you got to do a little bit more, and you you got to plan for the future a little bit more. And it's not just in picks, and it's not just in drafting players, because unfortunately, while you're drafting what could be superstars, you're either losing them to other teams, or they're not turning out to be what we thought they were going to be, and it's just just not ending well. So that's that's my two cents. Um, I think it's I think it's me if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, yeah, so um this outtake comes to us from uh, Mikey at MacArthur X on Twitter. The time to trade Cassis was a year ago. Dude, you are screaming to the moon, my friend. I am a hundred percent with you. If there was an opportunity to trade Tristan Cassis, I think last year was the time. You know, there's been a lot of you know, a lot of talk surrounding uh the Pittsburgh Pirates and what it would have taken to get Somebody like Brian Reynolds, Tristan Cassis would have been a part of that package. I would have loved, loved to get Brian Reynolds in Boston, who's in, I think, our three year this year in 2023. I'm not 100% sure, so we'll have to double check that. But um, this is a, a switch hitting outfielder that can, I mean, I think he's an absolute game changer. And and it's going to suck if this guy ends up being an absolute star and we're left Holding, you know, the bag with our pants down, and Tristan Cassis hits 160 with 11 home runs and 45 RBIs when we could have had someone that's probably a 30, 90, or 30, 100 guy who has the capability of hitting over 300. Um, but absolutely agree. Probably late, later than a year. We probably should have traded him more than a year ago. But that's that's just me, uh, Terry. Anything you want to add to that one?
2: I don't disagree that that was the time to trade him um, because his value was certainly somewhat high, but stubbornly, I still think we ought to keep him. I just, I mean, we don't have any depth at that position anyway. It's not like we're loaded at first base and we can afford to do it. Kind of like the Twins could afford to deal Luis arise to the marlins uh to get their guy but um we'll see i mean if he's the biggest bust of all time we'll all look back and this will be one of the many things that perhaps heim bloom didn't get right but for now um i i think i think he's salvageable and i still think he could have a really good season
1: If it was Casas for Brian Reynolds, I would have packed his bags myself. Um, you know, anytime you can get a bona fide MLB player, you got to make that trade. Um, you know, I and hand up. Admittedly, I'm not the best prospect guy. You know, I don't I don't do uh, as much of the the in-depth prospect rankings as, as some of the others. You know, like, oh, well, this guy was crushing and, plus, you know, a plus whatever, you know, tracking the trends. Um but for me, you know, a proven talent is a commodity, right? Baseball is such a, an exact science and they're, you know, they're trying to use analytics to become, you know, a little bit better at, at those predictions. And Casas Terry, like you were saying, you know, has, he, he is the prototype for, for a corner infielder, a guy that can go 3,100, um, you know, hit bombs, play good defense the whole nine. So, you know, the writing's on the wall for it to be there, uh, you know, physically, it's just, you know, can he, can he put all of the tools together, um i i think it's still too early for for me to come completely give up on the project and say that you know this guy needs to be out of the out of the system for you know um pennies on the dollar but if it was for reynolds you know that's an entirely different equation charlie
0: yeah i, I mean here's the thing would that have been the only player in the deal no we, we i think we all know that and and to cody's point you know if that was a straight Straight shot, one for one. You're absolutely offering any assistance you can to assist Mr. Cassis in packing his bag so that we can get Mr. Reynolds over here. It would have taken probably something like Cassis, Bayo, maybe something else, a third piece, because you know that a team like Pittsburgh is going to do everything possible to try to get superstar, you know premier talent. And we knew that Bayo was going to be pretty good. I I, I think some people were not that high on him, but we had an opportunity to see him in a time that was probably a little bit earlier than expected. My fear was that we were going to risk, you know, blowing this kid's confidence because we brought him up too soon. Um, But that's the thing is you never know what you're going to have. And I, I think the Red Sox are paying dearly for that because of trading, you know, Jeff Bagwell to the Houston Astros and getting nothing but a, you know, bum relief pitcher, I believe it was Larry Anderson in that deal. And Jeff Bagwell went on to be one of the most prolific power first basemen that we've ever seen in the last probably 30 years. There were few that could do it like him. Um, And that's good. I think that's the reason why I think the Red Sox have such regret over that deal that they're like, we'll never trade another prospect again, because when they've traded some prospects, they've actually turned out to be really, really good. You think about, you know, trading even Hanley Ramirez away, who, who turned out to be really good. And then years later, when he was borderline washed, then he came back to Boston before he was unceremoniously dismissed. And, you know, it's just it sucks. You you don't know what you have, but you can't hold on to all the prospects. And that's the thing that Kyle Bloom wants to do. He just wants to hoard all the prospects. And you need to trade some of those pieces away in order to bring major league baseball ready talent to to win a title. Not every prospect is going to hit. And he's got this mindset that they're all going to hit and he's holding on to all of them and and some of them are barely getting it done. So that, that's my two cents on that one. I'm, I'm going to bring it back around to Terry for his next hot take. Terry, what do you have?
2: I am bringing my own hot take in uh, for the second round here. And it's simply that I think Lou Loney should be Nesson's primary color guy. Meaning, and I mean primary 145 to 150 games a season. Because I think he's the best of everybody, and it's not even close. You know, Euclid is a beloved figure in Boston, big part of that uh, 2007 championship season, had some other extremely robust seasons beyond that. 2008 was, we came so close to going to the World Series, he was a part of that team, but he's very vanilla in the booth. I, I just, I'm not a big Euclid guy. I think he is better than Maserati and, and Kevin Millar out of all those characters. Uh, I think second on the list is Middlebrooks. I, I think he's entertaining a little bit. I think he's likable. But it, when it comes to Merlone, I just feel like he connects with the audience so much better. And so many of us are listen, uh, are accustomed to hearing him on WEI on the various shows he was on. But more importantly than anything, he is a New England guy. He sounds like us, and he's one of us. And that's part of what made Jerry Remy so special, because he was from Fall River, Massachusetts, and he had that thick New England accent, probably one of the thickest you'll ever hear. And Lou Marloni, he's from Framingham, Massachusetts, and I just feel like there's this natural flow with him, in the booth, I feel like he's got the potential to be a little bit more candid than the rest of them. And I mean if you go back and you listen to some of his takes, he's probably trashed a lot of these guys on WEI. And I'm not saying he's gonna trash them in the Nesson booth, but I just feel like I just feel like he's the best of all of them. And I, I'm sure Nessen's going to honor their commitments to everyone for the X number of games that you know they're scheduled to do with with each guy but going forward in, in 2024, I want Lou Loney to be the the color guy in the booth for like I said at least 145 to 150 games. That's my hot take. Cody.
1: I think we can all honestly say we were surprised. Duke was as vanilla as as he was, right? A guy that played with so much fire and so much passion on the diamond. You thought, you know, he, he just lived, eats, and breathed that kind of level of intensity. Um, you know, which is which is a real bummer because I remember being pretty excited when I heard that he was going to be, you know, kind of a the guest color commentary guy for a while. That I was like, oh, this one's going to be, you know, one to tune in. Um, you know, turn the volume up a little bit more just to make sure you know you kind of hear their... Their opinion on the on the whole game, but you know, um, I think it's for me. It's more of I notice when they're bad before I notice when they're good. I don't know if that's just the way that I I watch the game. Um, and whenever Maloney's on the call, I don't I don't really notice the commentary, which in my opinion is a is good commentary. And and you can't fake a local tie to the area as well. And I think that's got to be a mainstay. Terry, you touched on it with uh, with Remy, right? You know, the thick Boston accent. It just it just Bleeds Red Sox baseball, right? When you hear it on the call, you're just like, okay, you know, we're locking in for three plus hours or you know, two plus hours now with the with the pitch clock and the other rule changes. But um, I think Marloni's uh, been great because I, I don't have anything bad to say about him, so that that is good enough for my book. Charlie, what are your thoughts?
0: Well. I distinctly remember calling Lou Merloni once on the radio show, and this is actually not something to do with baseball, but he disagreed with the take I had and he ended up being wrong and and that's okay. So I guess we're just going to give him a pass. Lou Merloni is someone that we, we grew up with in the nineties. And if you are a Pawtucket Red Sox fan, you saw a lot of Lou who spent a decent amount of time in Pawtucket, getting a couple of opportunities in Boston, absolutely slayed, triple a, but unfortunately was, was never like this crazy superstar in the majors, but, um, was a fan favorite was, was liked in the clubhouse. This guy has a lot of knowledge about the red Sox, and similar to what you were saying about, uh, Remy in the past. This is a guy who I think fans are going to be able to connect with and bond with and, I mean, is it possible that Lou Merloni's the the next best thing next to somebody like Don Orsillo? Because I would kill to get Don Orsillo back. I would absolutely love to get Don Orsillo back, and and it hurt when he left. But he's living the best life out in San Diego right now, and I, I there, there's a part of me that that likes the Padres just because he's there. If he left, I would hate them. You know, I couldn't stand them, but. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it couldn't possibly be worse than some of the other people that we've had in there. Uh, some, some guys are dry. There just feels like there's really no personality. And Lou's always been a character. So you know what, Terry? Maybe that's what it needs. Maybe Nesson needs Lou Reloning.
2: Maybe you're right. They don't get many things right, though. That's the problem. Yeah, they they they've done a pretty bang up job for a little while. But uh, uh, with
0: with that being said, uh, Cody, what was your next hot take?
1: This comes from Mister Wright with a W. Uh, he says Jaron Duran has no business in center field at Fenway or outfield or any outfield spot in Fenway. Now that I think about it, um, I want to push back a little bit on this one. I know that he was absolutely atrocious in the outfield last year. We all have. <laughs> Uh, not so fond memories of of watching him take circuitous routes to to fly balls, you know, um, perhaps uh, overrunning uh, a ball or two there here or there. But um, you know, from what we've seen of, of him in spring training this year, and you know, in the the one game sample size of, of major league ball, it looks like he's playing a lot more loose, a lot more free, a lot more confident. Um, you know. This organization has um, an unfortunate recent history of giving potentially players that we don't think are deserving of multiple uh, chances at making at the major league level. But I'd like to see, you know, Duran get a a few more opportunities, not only because, um, you know, he can hit the ball the other way now, but his his speed is so dynamic and it clearly affects the pitchers on the bump. Um, You know, he pretty much manufactured a run for us late in the game today with his speed alone. And so, you know, that's it's somebody that I'd like to see have a couple more opportunities, maybe, you know, work with Verdugo or work with somebody else, um, you know, how to shore up some of that that uh, fielding. But I, I don't think he should be banished from the outfield, to say the least. Terry. I don't
2: – I'm not a Duran hater, but, you know – it is what it is, and if he's on the roster, a lot of things had to have gone wrong. Really, um, he did hit a you know a, a ball off the monster and uh, in today's game in the finale, and there was another at bat. I think he was on first base, and the the pitcher used both of his pickoff attempts so. If he tried to do it again and was unsuccessful in picking uh, Jaron Duran off, it would have been a balk in that case. So it was pretty apparent that Duran was going to steal second because, you know, the pickoff attempts were used up in... Couple pitches later, he took off and got into second base, and that's where Duran is—is really the biggest weapon for the Red Sox is on the base pass. You know, nobody else can go from first to home on a base hit, really, other than Jaren Duran. I'm never gonna—he's never gonna be adequate uh, defensively for me, uh, you know, as an everyday player at least. And he's had a good spring training and it remains to be seen if his plate discipline is going to be as good as it has been. But I just feel like with him on the 26 man, I just feel like I said just a few seconds ago, a lot of things had to go wrong and I would just rather have a solid, healthy outfield ideally and Duran either in Worcester or on another team. So, you know,
0: I think you, you really did bring up the most important, I think, topics surrounding Jaron Duran. How many things had to go bust before he found his way in Boston? A lot had to go wrong. And I think there are some people that I think there's a lot of people that have forgotten what Jaron Duran did last year, but I think there's also a decent amount of people there that because the Red Sox haven't been very relevant for the past couple of years, people haven't forgiven the fact that Jaron Duran was very laissez-faire about the fact that he lost the ball and just did not play his hardest in center field. That allowed current Red Sox player, Remel Tapia, to get an inside-the-park grand slam when the Red Sox got absolutely baptized by the Blue Jays at home, it was the most disgusting display of fielding and just play that I've ever seen in Boston. It was embarrassing. And we watched a piece of history for the wrong reason. And his response to that, I think was just sad, but Jaron Duran is never going to be a 300 hitter. Jaron Duran will never steal 40 bases in a season. Jaron Duran will strike out a lot in his at-bats, as he proved tonight, going one for three with two strikeouts. Yes, he stole a base. But you know what? You don't. You can find a stolen bases specialist anywhere. 26 years old. By the time he's 30, he probably still will not have 25 home runs. I just, it's really, really hard. Like, Jaron Duran is, I I think that the person that wrote this, Jaron Duran has no business in center field at Fenway, is probably one of those people that did not forget or forgive what happened when he lost that ball in the moonlight uh, that one, you know, that one cold evening at Fenway Park. I'm inclined to agree. Agree with you, Mister Wright. Uh, it's just—it's probably not for him. And as Terry's already mentioned as well, a lot had to go wrong for him to be here in Boston. Right? He's a lefty so, as well.
2: Uh, Another a million lefties, and he's one of them.
0: Right, uh, Terry uh, Cody. Was there
2: anything else you want to add to that one?
0: All right, right on. So we're gonna wrap it up with uh, our final hot take. So. Kyle, Kyle MC27, this comes from you, sir. This team is going nowhere until they move Kike back to center and acquire actual starting talent at second base and short. Well, Kyle, I'm inclined to agree with you, but there are two names that we have that will be eventually coming back. One was our $140 million guy, Trevor Story. The other, Terry, I haven't seen you smile yet, but you know who I'm going to say. You know who I'm thinking, and that's Adalberto Mondesi. Get ready. These are players that are going to come back, and Kike Hernandez was the guy who we thought was going to be the one to really kind of wreck and, you know, just reap the benefits of playing shortstop. But if I'm not mistaken, he's got six errors this year at short, and a couple of them were in the most recent series. He just he hasn't been able to, to really get in his groove, and I was all for it for him to play short since we lost, you know, after losing Xander, but um, I'm starting to think that maybe the move back to center field might actually help him and getting somebody else to play short, not in Christian Arroyo, but get somebody else in there could actually spell a little bit better success for this team because uh, errors are not going to help you score runs. It's it's only going to go the wrong direction. So I think there's some some credibility to this comment, Kyle. I think you you, you got a, a good
1: point there. Uh, Cody,
0: anything you'd like to uh, tag along?
1: I mean, we have had the fortunate opportunity of watching Kike kind of revive his offensive output uh, from the early going, right? You know, he was, I think, in a, he was mired in an over 29 stretch or whatever it might have been. And we moved him back to the outfield for a couple of games and suddenly he started hitting. Um, you know, I don't know if it was the pressures of playing shortstop, if it was, you know, just whatever it might've been, maybe he's just more comfortable out in the grass, but I think this offense goes as Kike goes, you know, he's a great table setter, a great energy guy. And when he's producing and when he's contributing, he's, he's even more high energy and it seems to be, you know, it kind of works better when he's at, um, at center, you know, similar to the the Bogarts, Stephen Drew debacle of, of 2013, right? He shoved Bogarts over at third base, and the guy couldn't hit his way out of a wet paper bag. You put him at shortstop, and, you know, suddenly all is right in the world offensively. Um, beyond that, you know, I, I think it is an interesting, you know, outlook on on the team and, and definitely something that we should keep an eye on, you know, if, if Kike's offensive numbers continue to trend downward as he plays shortstop.
2: Terry, hmm. here's your best team. Here's your best alignment for the second half if if we do get everyone back. All right, Here, here's how it goes. Duvall in left field, Kike Hernandez in center field, Alex Verdugo in right field. So that's your outfield. Duvall, Kike, Verdugo. Go to your infield. You got Devers at third. Uh, Arroyo slash Mondesi, just to appease Charlie at short. Trevor story at second, Justin Turner at first base, and then Masataki Yoshida as your DH. That's your best team. Those are the best players at the best positions. And I think that makes everything fluid and as streamlined as you can get for, for 2023.
0: For the record,
2: Terry, Thank you. <laughs> Cody, anything
1: you want to add to that right there? I think that's a stellar lineup. I think that's that's one that uh, could uh, strike some fear in the, the hearts of opposing pitchers.
0: I like it. Terry, I, I especially like the fact that you got to say his name without gritted teeth in, in that just one take. So for the record, on April 17th, Terry did mention that Adalberto Mondesi would make for a better option over some other names that we currently have. I think that's going to wrap it for today. Uh, We want to thank all of our loyal listeners. To all of our first-time listeners, thank you for joining us on our adventure. We appreciate all of you, whether this is your first or 1,000th time with us. And whether you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we want to thank you. Everyone have a great night. Take care.